He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh, that is amazing! Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, and Jim Woodward with you as always. And we are going to be joined by a very special guest later on in the show, Taylor Gooch coming off a great tournament at Live Las Vegas. He's also a dad since last time we talked to him. You guys are not going to want to miss our interview with Taylor Gooch later on in the show. But fellas, let's begin with a wild week at Riviera this week. Hideki Matsuyama ends up winning the golf tournament at 17 under par. Wins by three shots over Luke List and Will Zalatoris. Willie Z playing better golf. Good to see. We'll get into that in a second. But, fellas, Hideki Matsuyama, nine under on Sunday, hits it to what? Six inches on 15, eight inches on 16, and then birdies 17, ends up getting to 17 under. Like I said, shoots 30 on the back nine, finishes with a 62, the lowest final round in the history of of professional golf at Riviera and Hideki Matsuyama fellas now nine PGA Tour wins in his career that's the most for any Asian born player in the history of golf and you know earned 700 FedEx Cup points moves up to third in the standings there first player from Japan to win the Genesis Invitational very popular winner, and it's good to see a Masters champion, Hideki Matsuyama, playing some better golf because I got to be honest, guys, he wasn't really on my radar. He missed the cut here last year, hadn't been playing great golf recently, but you know what? He got hot this week, right, T-Dub? Oh, he definitely did, especially on Sunday. Yeah, Hideki been battling some injury stuff. I think he had a neck issue, I think, was the main thing, and he had some other stuff. I was going along with him as well. And it's great to see Hideki. He's one of my favorite players. Whenever he's firing on all cylinders, he's one of my favorite players to watch for sure because his swing is just so pure, so technically sound. And he hits his irons better than almost anyone out there, as we saw in 15 when he hits it to six inches or eight inches, whatever it was. It's inches. It's inside of a foot. And then on 16, I look away for two seconds. I look back up, and there's a ball right next to the hole. I think, oh, well, they just showed a replay of a shot on 15 because it was so good. No, it was the exact same. It was the next hole. It was the exact same result. On a different hole, it was absolutely crazy. On two holes, that played pretty tough. 16, it played about par. It wasn't that hard on the last day. But 15 played as one of the hardest holes in the final round, playing more than a quarter of a shot over par. So, really, Woody, we had about four or five guys tied for the lead with about six or seven holes to go in this tournament. And Hideki being able to do what he did on 15, 16, and then making a good birdie on 17, really still the deal. Because you look at it, he wins by three shots. But for a good portion of that tournament, it was a pretty tight race. Well, it's exactly what the PGA Tour was looking for this week is to have a great tournament, and they did. They did. When, Like you said, guys, the back nine, at one point we had five guys, five guys right there. And then Hideki just kind of was pretty impressive. Anytime you birdie that 10th hole, you've done something pretty good. 11 to yeah, reachable par five, not much, but 12 is a really hard hole out there. So 
watching him play that back nine, you know, I'm lucky. I've probably played Riviera 20, 25 times. And I got to be honest with you guys, I didn't see 62 out there at any time I played it. <laughs> that's, that's just unbelievable to me. But just, you know, I didn't play down the stretch. But I got to attribute a question to these guys with this Hideki win. Who did he pass? to be the most winning Asian player on the PGA Tour. Do y'all know? I just gave the stat, Woody, but I, I got to be honest with you. I have no idea who had who had eight. It's a good, it's good I'm trivia trying to question. think who had eight. It, it's, a, it's a great trivia question because I actually looked it up. I wanted to know because I'd heard that. It was KJ Toy. Interesting. Okay. And, and Very what, about, interesting. So, what about the other one? It, it, it was uh, was it Ioki back in the day, Woody? Yeah, Ioki. One uh, a, a couple of times, I know he holds a wedge at the 18th hole at, at uh, the Hawaiian Open to, to beat Jack Renner. I, that's still one of the greatest shots ever to watch. Not the shot, but watch Jack Renner's face when he hit in the scoring game. The crowd went up, and he, he looked at somebody, and then you could read his lips. He said, he holds it? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, he did. And that beat Jack Renner. So but, that, but to your point, I didn't realize that KJ won eight times. That's impressive. Yeah, KJ Toy. KJ Toy was a really good player, but again, you didn't realize he won it eight times. So, uh, uh, you know, we've had some good Asian players come over from South Korea, and that was where we see most of them. It was Japan when I played in early on. So, uh, you know, Tommy Nakajima was another really good Asian player from Japan that played our tour for a long time. So, uh, you know, and, and uh, I know we got, we're trying to move through this river here, but I do have one good story for you about Nakajima. I was playing in the Greensboro Classic over in April, and it was always in North Carolina, and it was kind of a chilly day. And uh, I was in the locker room, and I'd come in from playing the front nine, and I was working my way to our little eating area there. And somebody said, hey, Willie, is it, is it cold out there? And I said, yeah, guys, there's a little in the air. It's pretty chilly. And that's just a slang term we use in Oklahoma. I know you guys have heard it. But everybody kind of got quiet. And then I had to look over there. There was Tommy Nakajima sitting there. I went, oh, maybe that wasn't politically correct. But, you know, I wasn't trying to be any kind of uh, a jerk or anything. I just said, yeah, there's a little in the air. And, uh, wow. So that was a little embarrassing for Woody. That was his rookie year. So right off to a good start. Anyway, (laughs) I just had to throw a little tidbit in there about the Asian players. Oh, that's good stuff. Uh, Fellas, let's talk about a couple of these other guys. Will Zalatoris, we got to start with him because coming off of the back issues last year, then we see him, you know, first of all at the century this year where I think he finished dead last at the century. Just didn't look like the same old Willie Z. The ball striking was really, really solid this week. And the putting, even though he didn't necessarily putt great in the final round, actually lost a about a full shot on the greens in that final round. The putting looks a whole lot better with the sweeper, and I think that golf is always better with a young guy like Willie Z in the mix. And, fellas, I will always root for Willie Z because he was one of those world beaters when I was in college. My first ever college tournament I played in at Duke, 
Willie Z won that golf tournament when he was playing for Wake Forest. I played with Willie Z at U.S. Open sectionals, obviously won, you know, U.S. juniors too. And so I think that anytime Willie Z is in contention, he's one of those names that really gets my attention. Am I being biased about that, T-Dub? He seems like a star to me. Oh, definitely. When you hear the, the back injury stuff that comes around, you think, well, that's that's trouble. We've seen a lot of players' careers be derailed for a long duration of time, maybe even permanently with back issues. So it's good to see him have a recovery. Actually, with the day that I was at Augusta, it was on Wednesday, it was actually the last day that he played golf in 2023. He played the practice round on Wednesday and then withdrew before the Masters started. So a uh, pretty cool fact that I got to see that. It's good to see him come back and play. Willie Z had him a very good week, makes a hole-in-one on 14 in the second round to win not only himself, but his caddy a new car. So that's pretty cool. Got $1.8 million with his second-place finish. And for the entire week, he gained more than half a shot on the greens, which is something that is absolutely absurd with some of the highlights that we could see of his putting stroke. But in the final round, he did lose almost a full shot on the green. So unfortunately, pressure of the moment, I think, exposes your weaknesses. And it got exposed there. One thing that's interesting, Woody, is that in the final round, he drove the ball exceptionally, but he actually lost uh, shots approach to the green. So he didn't hit his irons very good in the final round, which is interesting because he gained almost a shot and a half on the entire week. So I think what a lot of players have to do, Woody, when they're out of it for a while, they got to get back in the groove of it, get in the swing of it. And he's definitely trending in the right direction. Finished dead last at Tigers Tournament, the hero. Missed the cut to Sony, but has gone 34, 13th, and second since then. So if he keeps on going on that track, Woody, he's going to win next time he teases up. Well, Sam, you're you're right on with him. I think he's a potential, if not already, close to being a superstar. Uh, the back injury put him back for a little while, but but I watched him play. I think a lot of those guys got caught with their pants down, kind of when Hideki went crazy, because he was two or three groups in front of, especially Cantley and Shoffley and Willie D and those guys. And all of a sudden, you know, they're thinking they're in a pretty tight race, and bam, bam, bam. Hideki's got a three, four shot lead on all of them. So I think they started shooting maybe at a little bit more pins or maybe getting a little more aggressive off tee shots and things like that to try to set them up where they could maybe make a birdie so they could catch Hideki. But when you look at Willie Z, his putting stroke with the broom is we have some close ups and I watched it carefully. And we've seen it. You guys, we laughed at some of the times how much his putter looped around. I mean, it, it looked like he was doing a figure eight sometimes. He couldn't get back to the ball. This putting stroke looks pretty doggone good. I mean, it, it went back pretty straight. It went through pretty well. So judging from what he did so far, like you said, all the way to second, his fourth tournament in, I think you might want to look for him as a potential major winner, this guy. I think he could pull it off because he, before his back injury, he was right there two or three times in majors, guys. So let's put him on the radar because I think he's there. No doubt about it. By the way, T-Dub, thank you for correcting me. It was the hero that he finished dead last, not the century. I had those two mixed up. But uh, speaking of strokes gained, fellas, going back to Hideki real quick, in the fourth round, he gained 8.47 shots on the field average. I mean, T-Dub, to me, this was the round of the year, and even even better than you know the 58s, 59s we've seen so far this year. We saw a 60 as well. This round was even the most impressive to me just about how 
elite the field was and how many strokes he was beating the field average by in that fourth round. Eight and a half shots in one round. And it kind of goes to Woody's point, T-Dub, that guys that I would have bet on, like a Cantlay or even a Luke List when they were about to make the turn, those guys kind of got the bad mojo going and you know, Hideki kind of was just out in front, freewheeling it. And all of a sudden, you don't even have any drama on 18. It's rare that you see a guy come that far from back behind and win the golf tournament without any drama. Normally, there's at least a little bit of drama on 18, not at Riviera this weekend. Well, just to put it in perspective, you mentioned the eight and a half shots on the field average. He shot nine under in the final round. Second best that on Sunday was Adam Hadwin, who shot six under to bolt himself up in the tied fourth. But then after that, the next best score was four under, who I believe five players shot that. So he beat the third best score by five shots in one day. That is absolutely crazy. And Woody, you played a lot more historic golf courses than I am. You can probably attest to this. Whenever you do something like that, whenever you shoot 62 in the final round, it means a lot more than whenever you do it at a historic golf course like Riviera versus if you do it like this next week in the Mexico Open, like we're going to talk about just an absolute horrible field. But whenever you do that on a place that has a lot of tradition and prestige, it just means a lot more. Oh, I think it does. And and, and when you look at the 60 that Wyndham Clark shot at Pebble Beach, I kind of put a little asterisk by that because it was lift, clean, and play. It was a little different scenario. 62 at Riviera was that rough and that kind of setup. And those greens are really hard to cut, guys. They got the goofiest poe in them and everything else. And then you get that kakui grass around every putting surface that's big-bladed and just nasty as it can be to chip out of. I, I just I look at that round, and Sam, I think you're, you're pretty much spot on. We don't know what's going to happen the rest of the year. But by far, so far, guys, that's the round of the year. He started six shots behind Patrick Cantley when the day started. He was six back. He even said, I really didn't think I had a chance to win, but I wanted to go out and play a really good round. <laughs> he played really good round, all right. And what you said is really spot on, Sam. He got off and ran off and left him, and he had that cush. The reason he had that cush is those holes, that, that 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 at Riviera, you don't see it up thinking, well, I'm going to birdie this hole. This is not some chip and putt little golf course. So that even put more pressure on those guys to try to do something, and they just couldn't do it. They just, uh, Adeki's round was just phenomenal. Best round by far of the year so far, I would say. No doubt. And, fellas, I promise we're going to get to Tiger, but let's talk about a couple more guys. We briefly mentioned it can't lay. He was honestly pretty pathetic in that final round, just never really got anything going. And like Woody said, by the time it was by the time Cantley was on about fifteen, you're like, it's almost impossible to play these holes four under par coming in on fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen. So you knew the tournament was basically in the bag. Woody, by the way, I gotta give you credit for basically nailing what Rory McElroy would do this week. You know, you said he'd have one bad round and then played Decent on the weekend and finish in the top 25. That's exactly what Rory McIlroy did. A couple other guys to keep an eye on, you know, in in future weeks because they are playing some solid golf. Ludwig Obert, he shot three under in the final round. Tony Finau finishes at six under par. Hovland finished at six under par as well. So did Morikawa. So those guys, their game is right there. 
Um, but I want to focus real quick before we get to Tiger and, and the whole speed thing. Fellas, how many times are we going to come here on Monday on this podcast and say, different week, same story for Scotty Scheffler. The putting has become not only an issue, but a storyline. Fellas, Scotty Scheffler is first in strokes gained total, first in strokes gained off the tee, first in strokes gained approach, and he's 207th in strokes gained putting. And by the way, he's putting better this year than he was last year. Last year, he's in the 250s on data golf as far as strokes gained putting go. And it's just week in and week out that Scotty Scheffler is missing five to ten footers. Listen to this stat. It's mind-boggling. Coming into the week, Scotty Scheffler hit 88% of his greens in regulation. Then, from three to five feet on the greens, he was only making 77.78% of his putts. That means he's 10 percentage points higher on greens in regulation than from putts from three to five feet? Make it make sense, T-Dub. I saw some of what I saw his putting stroke this week is something that I didn't think that I would see from a guy who's number one golf, number one player in the world because there was times where he'd have a three or five footer and you could visibly see him flinch through it. It's almost like whenever you go around a corner and someone scares you, you like jump up and you're like frightened and you can't really move forward. That's like what his body was doing on some of those. In particular, go back and watch it. I think it was the first round on 16. He had about a 15-footer for birdie. Hit a little too firm. It lifts out. Goes about five feet by, which can easily happen at Riv. But then he just hits an absolutely god-awful push-shove putt. You could just see his whole body stand up. It was crazy. And I've documented on this podcast before. I'll say it again. You look at the analytics, it stems back to when he four-putted the last hole at the Masters when he won in 2022 because that week, he gained almost a full shot on the greens. And since that point, just going through here, doing a little quick math, he's gained shots putting maybe 15% of the time, maybe. And before that 2022 Masters, he had gained shots putting, I believe, eight out of nine events, going all the way back to 2021. So, Woody, there's a lot of things you can break it down to me. It may be a setup thing, but it's clearly in his head with some of the way that he was stroking the putter through on those on those shortest putts. You can tell that he's thinking about it, not committed to it. And based on the analytics, we go back to when he four putted the last hole, the seventy second hole at the Masters, and ever since then he's been absolutely horrible. Yeah, and if you look at the PGA stats of those guys out there playing from you know three to five feet, they're in the ninety percent range. So that even screams more, T Dub, what you're saying. It's seventy seven. You broke up you broke up right there, Woody. Say that percent from three to five feet again. From three to five feet, they're about somewhere in the ninety low ninety percentile, even around mid ninety percentile. Okay, maybe but all right. So he's giving up a huge amount on the short ones and he's not making any long ones. You know, it's funny guys, it's kinda ironic. Even Rory McElroy is trying to help you. Said, hey, maybe I'll try to have a sucker. And they, they say, well, you know, somebody asked him why, and then he gave a bunch of stats of the MOI and all the stuff that I have no earthly idea what they're talking about other than the fact that the only thing I understood is off-centered hits. You don't, the putter face doesn't twist as much with a mallet compared to the putter he's putting with. It looked like a ping answer. I think with Scotty Scheffler right now, though, guys, one of the things I might, asking to do is go get his eyes checked 
Okay, I don't know. I mean, maybe his vision has changed. Maybe he's not seeing like he was seeing before. And I know that sounds crazy, but I've seen it happen before. Guys' eyes are getting weaker. One eye gets something a little weaker than the other, and they don't see the line or they don't see the angles. But it's it's close. It's teetering on right now, guys. A full situation of Yip City. Okay, it could be there, and and his frustrations finally starting to show which he's hit it well he has done really well with all the putts he's missed but this week his frustration is starting to come out i know i know on a couple occasions i saw him hit his hit his foot or his handle of the club with his foot and i mean he's frustrated right now and how could you not be guys can you imagine hitting 88 percent of the greens and never winning a golf tournament it's unbelievable. And like you said, launching his ball into the trees, I don't blame him at this point. Normally you don't, no. you know, advocate that type of stuff, but guys, I would be furious too. He, another top 10 for Scotty Scheffler where he loses half a shot on the greens for the event. I mean, there was a on Friday, he missed what? 5 putts inside 10 feet. Uh it's yeah. just unbelievable. So um, fellas, I don't know the fix, but it's either green reading or confidence or his stroke. If it were me, I would try to switch putters, maybe go arm lock at this point, but anything, it, it can't get worse is my point. And I, for Scotty Scheffler's sake, I hope that the putting gets better before the ball striking comes back to, you know, more tour average instead of like all time great ball striking. Fellas, I, I don't know which one's gonna come back to the mean first, but for Scotty's sake, I hope it's I hope it's the putting. Um fellas, let's talk about Tiger Woods. So Tiger Woods this week, everyone was fired up to watch Tiger play again. I haven't seen him since the Masters last year until the Hero World Challenge where he finished 18th, but obviously exhibition kind of style golf right there. This was the first real signature type big event that Tiger has played in since Augusta National. And guys, it honestly looked pretty average to me when he was playing, but we only get to see him for what, 24 holes, right, in this in this tournament because he made it through six holes of his second round. And then he gets, like Traver called it when I was on with him on Friday, the bad boiler. And Tiger tweets out that he got the flu and they had to, you know, take him back up to the clubhouse and the golf cart. They even brought the ambulance out. And I, I guess that some other players like a Jordan Spieth, who, by the way, we'll get to in a second, he had his own issues this week. It's just sad to watch, I guess, fellas. When you look at Tiger's last few finishes, withdraw, miscut, tied for 45th, withdraw at Augusta National, 18, 18 out of 20 golfers at the Hero World Challenge, and then withdraw this week at the Genesis. Tiger, to compete at a high level again in major championships, is going to have to be able to finish 72 whole events in my opinion, at least 10 times a year to prepare himself for the grueling weeks that are major championships. And everybody who plays golf knows that competitive golf is a whole lot different than going out and practicing. And unfortunately, what we talk about before the week started, T-Dub, What's a successful week for Tiger? Number one, it's finishing 72 holes or, you know, finishing looking healthy, you know, for 36 if he ended up missing the cut. But looking healthy was the number one priority. 
And even though he did get the flu, T-Dub, I still saw a little bit of the back issues. Like we saw the shank on 18 on the first day. He said his back was spazzing. I just don't know at this point, T-Dub, if we're ever going to see the same Tiger. I would never bet against him. But in my opinion, we're nearing the end. It's hard to be optimistic, but as deep down Tiger fans, I think we have to be to some extent. You look at how he played in the first round. Let's get to that before I talk about his withdrawal. He comes out and he... Well, he's very up and down the first few holes. He birdies one, bogeys two and three. Has a, it's a horrible chip on two, something you never see Tiger do. But then the shots he hit on four in the first round is stuff that a lot of people in the world, even most pros, can't do. It's a 230-yard high-cut four-iron that landed in the perfect spot between the rough and the green to hold that green and was able to roll it down and make one of the very few birdies that was had on the week on that hole. So you see shots like that, and you say, okay, Maybe if he have all the stars aligned in one week, he might be able to get it done. Because he did have five birdies in that first round, which is very impressive. The problem is is that he had six bogeys on top of it. He played the par fours absolutely horribly, including the shank on 18, which I don't know if we'll, I don't. I, the only time I've ever seen Tiger shank it, for my, besides the, when he had the chipping gifts, when he shanked it all the time, it was 2003 in the U.S. Open. I believe it was the first hole or something like that. I saw him shanking. I was a little kid then. I was 10 years old, just blown in amazement. Oh, my God, Tiger Woods could shank the ball. I can't believe this. And so it brought back some memories of that because it's something you never see. And let's give him credit. The shot that he hit after the shank, to hit a little, like, hook chip punch around it to carry the bunker, to roll it up pin high, that was absolutely beautiful stuff, something that very, very few people who have ever played the game will be able to do. But you mentioned the back spazzing up, and then just the timeness of getting the flu. Uh, Spieth has a, a sickness, which he signed the incorrect scorecard. We'll talk about it a little bit. But he was dealing with it. They're saying that Cantlay had the sickness on the final day. He had like over 100-degree fever. That's probably why they're saying that he played bad. So, Woody, a little bit of bad luck to have the, the illness come in top of, on, on top of the back spasms and all that stuff. But, uh, but yeah, he needs to be able to play more competitive golf. And if, this, if these things keep happening, it's going to be hard to see him contending in any meaningful tournament. I just kind of – I was disappointed because I just happened to come in and I turned the TV on and I was seeing right as he was riding in the cart. And, boy, the first thing I thought is, oh, no, don't tell me something else is wrong with his body. I was almost glad to hear he had the flu. I mean, that sounds terrible, but I was really afraid of his back or his, or his, you know, his leg again. I didn't know what it was going to be. I, you know, Sam, you said I'm not betting against him. Yeah, I think I've, I've reached the point, guys, I've seen enough. I think as far as the PGA Tour goes, uh, he is a ceremonial player at best, and he, he needs to keep doing it and move the needle because the tour needs him still. He's still the guy that moves the needle, even though he's played nine times in the past, uh, what, three years, four years? I mean, he's played virtually no golf, and yet he still moves the needle. So I really still want him to play, but I'm not picking him to do anything until he turns 50. And then at that point, I think he can go crazy on the ticket tour. Only if his body holds. And at this point, guys, when Jack Nicholas came out about, oh, what was it, five minutes, months ago, or said something to the effect, yeah, he's not going to catch me. Nicholas has always, you know, said nothing of the sort, nothing of the sort. He has always gone under the radar when it comes to his record compared to Tiger. And now he comes out point blank and says he's not going to catch me. 
So, you know, for Nicholas to say that, I was like, wow, you know, okay, maybe he knows something I don't. But the more I watch this, the more I hate to say it because I know he's your age, like my <laughs> Caleb, my my wife's younger son, loves him like you two do, and I think he's an incredible athlete and an, probably one of the best golfers ever, if not the best, especially during his prime. But I think I think guys, we got to be realists. I think he's done. Yeah, I mean it's just tough, even right now. Like T Dub was saying, there's flashes of brilliance with Tiger Woods, but I just I, I don't see a way for him to compete at a high enough level in a major championship or even a PGA Tour event when he's only teeing it up, like he said before the year, if he's healthy, he's going to tee it up six times a year. That means, fellas, that he's going to play the four majors, the Genesis, and either Bay Hill or the players, I guess. That is just, in my opinion, not enough golf to play if you're trying to compete at a high level and really try to win golf tournaments on the PGA Tour. So that's why I kind of just right now it's not very optimistic for Tiger for me, even though you do see the flashes of brilliance, the body yeah. just isn't cooperating, T dub, in my opinion. Well, and Sam Sam, let me before T dub says what he's gonna say, guys, everybody around him's better. And they're better because he made them better. He forced every one of these younger guys to be him. So not only did he create a, a, a big issue for him with his body, but he created another whole group of players that idolized him that wanted to be just like him. So he double-sorted himself. His body's failing, and he's brought on all these great players that he's got to compete against. So that's why I say it's not that I don't think he's still a world-class ball striker and does things that nobody can do but i just don't with all the competition i just don't see it anymore well and and woody to to your point this is exactly what i was about to say so we're on the same wavelength here to put this into perspective hideki matsuyama won the tournament he went bogey free in the final round he made one bogey in the third round one bogey in the second round and in the first round he made a bogey and a double so let's just say that's five that's five bogeys so he made five bogeys for the week to win a prestigious golf tournament, which is all that Tiger Woods is going to play in going forward if he wants to win. Tiger made six bogeys in one round, in the first round. That's the problem. It's like, yes, well, he has how do you brilliance get rid of, of those, How do you get rid of those little mistakes? You play competitive golf round after another round after another round, and eventually those little mistakes go away, and his body won't hold up for that much golf. Exactly, Sam. It's, it's the classic example of the 15 handicap can go out from 150 yards and make a hole in one. Which, if Tiger Woods is there right at the same time, he did it further away. So you could technically hit a shot better than Tiger Woods. But it's, uh, we all know this. It's a game of misses. It's how often can you hit the good shot? And unfortunately, Tiger right now can't hit enough quality shots back to back to back because of the reason you just mentioned. He hasn't been able to play enough to get the rust off that he has. Tiger's always been the type of philosophy of even all his comebacks that he's had. He's had to grind his way through four, at least four or five events before he can get back to the type of golf that he knows that he can play. And unfortunately, he's just not at a point where he can do that. At least I'm very similar to Woody. I was glad to hear that it was the flu and not necessarily that is, oh, the back is just so bad I can't swing. Because the swing that he made on seven, his last one, that one looked pretty good. It was a three-wood or five-wood, whatever it was, right down the middle. 
I mean, it's yeah. a great shot. So the, the timing of it is what made it weird. It's not like this. Most of the time when Tiger withdraws, he's on the ground crying and acting like his acting like he has no spine in him anymore, and he's flailing around. But you know, it wasn't the case, and he had a great shot after that. So, so it was it was very weird timing. But uh, but yeah, it's so I'm positive on that sense. But unfortunately, it's just another example of he hasn't been able to play enough golf, and he needs to be able to play golf if he wants to win the tournament that he's going to play in going forward. So where do we see him again, hey, Sam, fellas? Where do we see him again? Well, Is it Sam, Sam here, here's the other thing, Sam. I think it will be a Bay Hill. The, the thing we're not even including in when we're talking about him playing tournament rounds, he doesn't get to practice like he used to. He used to beat balls. Like, all. I mean, all day he would beat balls and work on his game. He can't do that with his physical injury. So, yeah, I think it'll be Bay Hill. And if he doesn't have something flare at Bay Hill, I think he might play the, the, the tournament players championship also. He might surprise us and try to do something to get ready for Augusta. But, uh, you know, I just – with he just can't play and he can't practice. Uh, what are we – I mean, we're asking for something. It's just not really feasible. Okay, guys? Okay, so any thoughts? I this, think it's probably Bay Hill, but I, I don't know how well he's going to play there either. So this week's Mexico Open, the week after that is, it's got a new sponsor, but what used to be the Honda down in Florida where Chris Kirk won last year, the week after that is Bay Hill, and then the week after that is the players. I would be highly surprised if it's not one of those two. I would probably guess he would try to play Bay Hill. He, he may say, I can only play one or two, so he's going to play the Tour's flagship event since he's probably going to own the PGA Tour within the next couple of years. So that's a very interesting thing to look at there, which one of those he plays. I would be shocked if he doesn't play at least one of those. But I'd also be pretty shocked if he played both of them. I would love if he could, but I think he's only going to try to do one of them. Maybe he'll try to play Bay Hill and then say, well, if I feel good enough, then he'll try to go to the players. But uh, I, like I said, I, it's going to be one of those two events because after that, you have the Valspar. Then you have the Houston Opens now back in the schedule. It's not a fall series of anymore. Then the Valero Texas Open in San Antonio. Then the Masters. So he's going to play at least one more tournament before Augusta. Which one of those, though, I'm not exactly sure. I'd probably say it's honestly 50-50 at this point. With me. Yeah, and just forget about the fact that he had the flu, fellas. Like, he was probably going to miss the cut anyways this week. So I don't know. I, I just want to see Tiger play golf tournaments to prepare for these major championships because I just hate having to go onto the radio and try to defend him with Traber, who, by the way, if you're not from Oklahoma City, Traber is one of the bigger Tiger haters of all time. But I'm trying to defend I'm trying to defend Tiger Woods and be like, well, he still might have a chance or he still might do no. this and might do that. I'm starting to lose hope. I'm starting to lose hope. Yeah, it is yeah, starting to yeah. look like the end. Hey, don't give him any fuel for his fire, Sam. Quit defending him. I might have to agree with you now. Just let him have his way. But but that's the thing. Guys, I'll tell you this, because you're too young. You're not 48 yet. Well, I went through it that age and went right on by it. 48 was nothing to me. I could play three golf tournaments in a row when I was 48, and I didn't even think anything of it. Okay. So when we say, well, I just don't think he'll play two in a row, I'm going, what, are you kidding me? Gee whiz, he's, he's 48. That tells me how bad his body really is, guys. Because I'm telling you, I could play two or three golf tournaments in a row. Now, I might not be as focused as Tiger Woods was, 
but physically wise, I could do it. It didn't bother me in the least. So there's more to it. That's what all I'm saying to you guys, because you're not that age yet, but he should. There's no reason this guy shouldn't be able to play two tournaments in a row, unless he's a lot more hurting than we know. Well, I hope that we see him at Bay Hill, and I hope that he looks good at Bay Hill. I'll always be rooting for Tiger Woods because he is the needle and is great for golf. The last thing we got to talk about from Riviera, fellas, is Jordan Spieth, who was disqualified after his second round at the Genesis Invitational for signing an incorrect scorecard. Spieth signed for a three and made a four on number four in his second round. This is pretty controversial. You know, you had a bunch of PGA Tour players kind of coming to Spieth's defense, and Spieth said, yes, I signed an incorrect scorecard. Basically, he said he was feeling bad and tried to sign it really fast and didn't catch the error that he made on number four. It was not a cheating situation, obviously. It's impossible to cheat with a 1,000 cameras out there. Everyone knows what you made, which makes, to me, T-Dub, this rule, look, this rule is extremely stupid and archaic that they still have to sign for a score on a particular hole. But at the same time, I blame Jordan Spieth because it's just as stupid to sign an incorrect scorecard because they literally tell you what you made on those holes when you were in the scoring areas because they have every shot on camera. So if you mess up, they'll be like, no, you made this on this hole. He clearly was not feeling well, signed it fast, and left. And then by the time you leave the scoring area, it's too late. But, fellas, could you imagine LeBron James having to sign for, you know, 38 points in an NBA game, you know, when you see every shot? It's just silly to me that players have to sign for scores on a scorecard in a tournament where you literally can see every shot that every player hits. Yeah, when you're at the level of the PGA Tour, a million-dollar enterprise, you're, you've got to be able to not have to do things like this. But at the same time, you look at it, and they go by the USGA rules, and that is how the USGA has said it. And you have to keep the rule in place for all the lower levels of golf where you don't have cameras and not able to track it. So you need to have it in place. I think mainly where the rule needs to be changed is, okay, you signed an incorrect scorecard. Let's put it back to what it was and then assess you a two-shot penalty. I don't think we need – to say, oh, yeah, you messed up. We need to send your bags packing. You don't need to be able to tee it up anymore. Woody, I think it's just a little bit too harsh of a punishment for the crime. But if we are going to keep it in place, we're going to be traditionalists. I say just add a penalty onto it. The need to disqualify people for something like this is preposterous to me. Well, see, that's where you guys and I will differ. Uh, because I think I've, I don't know if you all have ever done it. I did it. I've signed an incorrect scorecard and I got disqualified. And when I say that you guys and I are different on this, I, I didn't have an argument when Nick Dunlap won that tournament. I think he should have got the money. I do have an argument with this. This is the way golf is played. You are given a card, a scorecard, that you switch with somebody else. And the reason why I'm going to say that, that you have to keep this rule, all you got to do is go in that scoring tent, which I did thousands of times in my life, and said, Read me my scores back to me, and I check them off, okay? Now, he must have been about ready to crap in his pants, and he just decided, I got to get out of here. I got no sympathy for him whatsoever, okay? That's part of the rules of golf. Now, you can call it antiquated. You can call it old age. You can call it whatever you want, but I differ with you guys. That is part of it. 
And I know we saw every shot, and they got scorekeepers that keep every total as it goes around. I understand. Here's the deal, guys. This is part of golf. This is part of the rules of golf that I don't want to see change. Jordan Spieth made mistakes. It's like I hear now we're going to let airline pilots not have to have the same test that the old ones did. Well, I don't want that SOB behind me if they've made it simpler for him to get his license. Bullshit, okay? I want somebody flying me that took the hardest test in the world or operates on me. Golfers, that's what they got to do. You shot the score, add up those numbers. It's not that hard. You sign it and you leave. If you do it incorrectly, I got no sympathy for Jordan Speed. Get your butt in your car and go home. Hey, Woody, I agree with you that this is 100% on speed. I agree with that that obviously it's not that hard to sign a correct scorecard. I guess my point, T-Dub, on it being archaic to me is the whole reason why you have to sign for a score on your scorecard, it's to prevent cheating. And obviously, guys can't cheat in a tournament like this with all the cameras on you and the cameras already know what you made on that hole. So the point of signing to say, no, I I am not cheating here. This is exactly what I made. Like we already know what you made, I I guess is my point in this scenario. I like scorecards and scorecards are very, you you need them in every other tournament in golf, except for the PGA tour and, and live. Well, then they shouldn't even have a scoring tip. None of that. They shouldn't have to go anywhere then. When they're done, they're done. They can go to the car. They can go to the bar. They can go to the range. They shouldn't have anything if that's what you're going off of. And if you're going to differ between the PGA Tour and everybody else, then we go back to your rollback theory. Okay, well, we can't differ between them. So at some point, you guys are opening up a can of worms here. And you got to be careful what you do. This is how we get to trouble in our society is we go, yeah, that's a stupid rule. We're going to do this, and we're not going to do that. And before you know it, then you got a, 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 a dichotomy that goes, okay, wait a minute. So, Sam, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to argue against you. I'm no, just saying good. at some point, what are you, you going to do? I mean, if that's the way you guys feel, then I'm serious. They don't need a scorecard. They don't need to go to scoring tenth. They don't need to do any of that crap because we both know we know exactly what they shot. Okay, so that is part of the gentleman's part of golf that makes us different than the NBA, where LeBron doesn't have to count his thirty-eight shots. It 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 just makes golf a little different than every other sport. Why do we always brag on golf, guys? We brag on golf because we call penalties on ourselves. We're not trying to cheat. He the NBA, NFL, the, the MLB, all of these guys will cheat. That's what they do. They're taught to cheat. Get away with it. My wife said one time when we were playing golf together, well, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. I said, well, you ain't playing with me no more because I don't <laughs> deal with that, okay? Boom. You don't get that. Well, if I'm not cheating, I'm not trying. Are you kidding me? No. That's why golf is so much different than everything else. So I know I'm a lot older than you two are, but I'm going to argue when it comes to some things, I'm going to argue for it. Uh, Nick Dunlap getting $1.5 I agreed with you guys totally on that one. But these kinds of things in golf, 
No, we got to keep them. We got to keep them. Or why don't we just start tearing down statues? You know, Ben Hogan's statue that was there, we don't need that anymore. Let's tear that down, okay? You know, bullshit. I'm not going to go with this. I'm going to tell you guys, no, that's when you got my dandruff. Woody, Woody, I agree with you. I think the tradition of the scorecard should definitely stay. That's something that is a staple of golf, and it needs to stay at every single level of competition. My whole point is that, you, you can do everything right for 72 holes. And forgive me, I forget the guy's name who signed the incorrect scorecard at the Masters to screw himself out of winning the tournament. Roberto DiVincenzo. Exactly, yeah. So back then there was less cameras. Okay, whatever. But now you can see every single shot possible. And like whenever we talk about someone like Patrick Reed who has cheated times in golf, you're not those guys at level, if you're going to cheat, you're not going to cheat by trying to say you shot lower than what you did. You're going to cheat by patting your lie in the rough and trying to get a better lie or moving a, a pebble in the grain of sand and trying to get yourself a better lie. Guys aren't going to try to cheat that way, which is why you're supposed to get disqualified in the first place. It's, For example, it's why you don't get disqualified if you sign for a higher score. You just get assigned that score. So it's not the principle of signing the card wrong that gets you disqualified. It's the principle of signing it for a better score, which implies that you're cheating, which no one at that level is going to do. That's why I think it's just preposterous that the penalty for signing incorrect scorecard for a better score is you're out of here. You don't get to play any more golf. I think that's just a little too extreme. Woody, I want the principle of the scorecard to stay, but just change the penalty of it. Make it a little less egregious. I guess the reason why I can remember the one time I did sign an incorrect scorecard. Maybe this is what I'm still been on this. I believe I was a sophomore at OSU, and we were playing a tournament at Lakeside, okay? And I had to keep on one scorecard all three of the guys' scores that I was playing with. We as the Oklahoma State, the home team, we carried the scorecard for every – I had to write everybody's scores down, okay, which is stupid when you get right down to it. But I had done that. Well, I had accidentally reversed two holes. I put four three instead of a three four. It was the same exact score. But I knew I'd done it wrong, and I had signed that card. So I, I fessed up, and I got disqualified. Well, not only did I disqualify myself, but I had actually won the golf tournament. So now I was the lowest scorer on OSU's golf team. I got disqualified. So not only was I feeling just horrible about that, but then Coach Holder proceeded to eat my ass out in front of everybody around the scoreboard. He didn't take me off to the side. He ate my ass out in front of 50 people. And I'm telling you guys, this was not pretty the way he talked to me, okay? So I guess maybe I got scar tissue here. (laughs) Because Jordan Spieth, Jordan Spieth, I don't give a rat's behind about him. Sorry for your luck, you moron. You should have just crapped in your pants and signed the card and checked it, okay? No. I got no sympathy. T.W., probably right. That is a little severe. But doggone it, guys. You know, it used to be when you murdered somebody, you got put to death. But now we know that's not right. We can't do that. No, I'm gonna, I'm going to go down fighting tonight. I'm going to say, fool, they get disqualified, and I don't care what you two say to me. Woody, you're fired up tonight. I absolutely love it. I cannot imagine. Yeah, I hate that because we're just trying to belittle it again. We're trying to we're trying to soften everything in our lives is getting softer. Bull, that shouldn't be softer. I don't care. Jordan Spieth's a multimillionaire. He don't care. I hope he did crap in his pants and sign his card wrong. That would be poetic justice. <laughs> 
I absolutely love it. Woody, I cannot imagine having to stand in front of Mike Holder and say, uh, hey, coach, <laughs> I hate to break it to oh, you. Oh, it was brutal. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I'm six foot two, and if I could have crawled under a cart, I would have done it. I was, I was so embarrassed and so humiliated. And then he just had an insult to the injury by just blowing me away in front of everybody. So, but you know what? It was my fault. I mean, I make the excuse I was trying to keep three scores, and that was a lot. No, that's what it was. And uh, you know what? I signed it wrong. So that's the rule, and I got penalized for it. I, I didn't lose any money. <laughs> I think you convinced me, Woody. Honestly, just sign your scorecard right. It's not that hard to add up your score. It's not that hard to do. Not that hard. Let's quit, let's quit softening everything in life. Let's, let's, let's hold to something, please. Woody made a pretty convincing argument. T-Dub, any final thoughts before we get to this TG interview? I think he's 100% right on, on what he said. I just, like I said, just don't disqualify him. He can go through so much hard work. We'll give, try all year to try to win a, a golf tournament. Then you get screwed because you missed at a number. It's just the penalty is too severe for the crime. I wish that would be changed, but I do love the tradition of it, and that should definitely stay in the game of golf. Woody, any final thoughts? We're going to do the TG interview, me and T-Dub and Taylor yep. Gooch. Uh, Woody, any final thoughts before you get out of here? Uh, yeah, no, nope. You guys got me where I was riled up enough about that, so I'm, I'm I hey, go I'll, now. And- I'll ask you this, Woody. Are you fired up for the Mexico Open? <laughs> No. <laughs> as much as I really will fight for disqualifying a player for signing a card drone, if I see a shot this week, guys, it'll only be because the weather's so bad and I'm forced inside. Because, no, I don't care about this. This, this <laughs> interests me none. T-Dub, tell me the top five favorites at the Mexico Open, and I'll tell you if I'm going to watch or not. Well, let's see. I know that Tony Fino is the by far the heavy favorite. I think he's 7.8% chance. And when Nikolai Hoygaard is second, Steven Yeager, Thomas Dietrich, nope, and Emil- Emiliano Grillo round out your top five at the Mexico Emiliano Open. Emiliano Grillo is in the top five favorites this week? 2.9% uh, chance to win, Sam. 20% <laughs> chance for a top 10. Unbelievable that that type of field hey, gets official world golf ranking points and the guy that we're about to talk yeah. to doesn't. That's what I was getting ready to say, and they're getting world ranking points. I'll tell you what, guys, I'd rather go get my colonoscopy again than watch that. That was miserable. (laughs) You know, guys, this brings me back to when I asked John Rahm, the only question I've ever asked John Rahm at the PGA, and he had just won the Mexico Open. I said, was that win in Mexico the confidence boost that you needed? And Rahm looked me right in my eyes and said, I didn't know I needed a confidence boost. (laughs) <laughs> i'll always remember the mexico open for that uh, oh gosh that's perfect i love it good stuff fellas thank you to oak tree nationals jim woodward t-dub will stay with us here for this second segment with taylor gooch sam humphreys with you as well Everybody out there, all of our listeners need to go to golfoklahoma.org to get all of their local golf news. And I want to thank our sponsors, McCray Roofing, who obviously you hear the commercial every time. And Woody, before you get out of here, since it's their first ad on the show uh, that our listeners are about to hear, tell us about our new sponsor. Oh, man, you're talking about Allcom Security. Allcom Security is a local company over here in Midwest City. I, I know Mike and Taylor McKinney. 
that run it and own it. It just, uh, you know, they do our learning. I have, they do all my learning for my wife's offices that she has. They're just a really down to earth, great, great Oklahoma company. And, uh, uh, when you listen to the ads, you'll you'll understand why I'm fired up about them because they're just great people. Plus, you know what? They're golfers. So that's what we love. I know that uh, with your guys at McCray Roofing, uh, T-Dub, they're golfers. So that's what we should for guys and have our sponsors be somebody to do with golf. And I think you're going to love, if you have any security needs for sure, call all come. Good, good stuff there. Taylor Gooch. Coming up right after the break here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the 73rd Hole Podcast. We'd like to welcome in our newest sponsor for the 24th season, Allcom Security. They're located in Midwest City. It's an Oklahoma-based company by Oklahomans. If you have any alarm needs, whether it's home or business or what they have now that I am fascinated by, and I think you would be too, they're OKC Security Trailers. These trailers aren't just your average surveillance units. They're equipped with cutting-edge technology that can distinguish between humans and vehicles. Imagine that. With precise accuracy, these trailers detect any unwanted activity on your property, whether it's a person wandering where they shouldn't be or a vehicle creeping around after hours. It's like having a vigilant guardian watching over your domain. I have personally seen these units, and they are amazing. So if you have any alarm need, please call my good friends at Allcom Security, 405-732-9000, or just look them up on the web, Allcom Security. Hey everyone, T-Dub here. I want to take a second to tell you about my good friends at McCray Roofing. Not too long ago, my roof was in desperate need of repair. There was extensive hail damage and I had many leaks that needed attention. Not only did Jeff and his staff build me a new roof, but they walked me through step-by-step of the claims process, which is something that I was very, very concerned about. Everything from the initial inspection of the roof to analyze all the damage to meeting with the insurance adjuster to make sure they were aware of every damaged area, making sure my claim was accurate. Their custom copper creations are truly beautiful and add a great touch to any roof. Not only do they do residential roofs, but they have an elite list of commercial customers, including Gallardia Country Club, Oak Tree National, and Bass Pro Shops. Check out their website at mccrayroofing.com to view some of their work yourself and give them a call at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. And we are back on the other side of the break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Now let's welcome in one of the best friends to the 73rd Hole Podcast. Really helped us get up and going when we first started this podcast. And he is now playing on live for Team Smash. We'll get into all of that Taylor Gooch back on the 73rd Hole podcast. And TG, we haven't had you on the show, and I haven't asked you about this publicly yet. I've texted you a little bit about it, but since we talked last on the podcast, obviously you already had one baby girl, but now you are a father of a baby boy. How is that going over the last few months? Man, it's uh, it's been great. It's, uh, it's uh, as I've, I've told you guys and a lot of people, uh, anyone that a, a newborn is just great as lying to themselves because it's challenging it's 
it's you know there's sleepless nights at times and a lot of sacrifice but man it's it's the greatest blessing uh in this world so everything is is running smooth so far that's good stuff. Now, Woody's not with us for this interview, but he wanted me to ask you, he said, is Ron going to coach up little Carter or is it going to be you? Like, obviously, Ron did a pretty good job with you. So who's going to be doing the uh, coaching? Is he going to be a baseball player, golfer? What, where are we going here? Well, my, my dad's uh, granddad name is Coach. So I, I think he's <laughs> going to be the coach forever. <laughs> That's good stuff. Uh, go ahead, T-Dup. That is beautiful stuff there, TG. And the thing I was going to ask is you have all this stuff going on in your personal life, and then you come off the offseason where you're the live player of the year. Your bank account is just tremendous at this point. So people think, well, you might have, have a little little hangover coming out. You finished 15th, and then you finished tied second in Vegas. So just talk to us about your game, your state of play, having to deal with the uh, newborn and all this stuff. Yeah, I was <clears throat> I was telling people um, going to these first couple of events that, if I would have somehow uh, clipped off a, a win in those first two, I would have talked so much crap to the rest of the guys because I uh, <laughs> I definitely should not have. Uh, I, let's just say I, I, I wasn't as prepared going into uh, this season as I, I've been the last couple seasons with, uh, you know, the new kid. And, and then obviously the weather isn't the most conducive for practice when you're not, you know, cleaning diapers and, you know, wiping uh, throw up off your shirt. So, um, man, it, it was the first, you know, first two weeks were as, as good as I could have hoped. You know, I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't joking. I, I, I just didn't get as much prep time, uh, in as I, I normally do going into a season. And, you know, there's only one DJ in the world. There's only one dude that can really just not practice and beat everybody. So I'm not him and I need, I need practice and prep. And so, uh, I didn't get as much as I, as I needed, but, uh, we, you know, we made, we made the most out of these first couple of weeks, so it's a good start to the year. No doubt, and a good start for your team, Team Smash, who ends up getting their first win on Live at Live Las Vegas. And Now, before we break down you going from the Range Goats to Team Smash, just tell me a little bit about what it's like being on a new team with, obviously, Brooks Kepka and then Jason Kokrak and Graham McDowell. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of like anybody, you know, in, a, in, a, in another sport going to a to a new team, you know, the, the processes are different. The, you know, the staff, <laughs> the staff is different, you know, different players, different, uh, different team chemistries. And, um, and so it's, it's been great, man. I've, I've, I've gotten close with, uh, you know, GMAC and, uh, and Jace over the last couple of years, uh, really, uh, even before the PJ tour, uh, Jace and I played a bunch of my last couple of years together. And, and so we, we've, we've all gotten along really well. And, um, you know, Brooks was the one I kind of wasn't the closest to until this past season. Uh, we, we played a lot of golf together, a lot of tournament golf together this last yeah, year. You guys were in the last kinda, group. A lot of times you guys were in the final group together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, he, he, he got to see some good golf. So he, he said, Hey, we need to figure out how to team up. And, and so anyways, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been, it's been a blast. And like I keep telling people, you know, Brooks is, uh, one of the greatest in, of our generation, you know, um, nobody's won more majors than him in the last 10 years, I think. Uh, and, and, you know, he's, he's an absolute stud and absolute dog and, um, just a guy that you want to be around every day. Cause I know if I can, uh, figure out how to beat him on a daily basis, uh, there's not, not going to be many dudes that are going to be able to, to beat me out there. CG, something I want you to try to break down for us the best that you can. 
you won numerous times when, when your first year on live when you were with the four aces. You won at least once, maybe twice with the Range Ghost team, and now you've won with Team Smash this year. So just talk, take us through the celebration of all three of those teams, and is there one particular team that celebrates a little bit better than another does? Well, uh, I, I think it's a little too early to tell because the one win with the Smash team uh, was when we were in Vegas on Super Bowl weekend, so that's, <laughs> uh, that's going to be tough to top, needless to say. So, uh yeah, let's let's give it some time and 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 we'll see. But uh, regardless, I mean, and as you all know, winning you know winning yourself is great. But um, man, when you win with others, it's just the best. So it's it was it was a, a great week uh, in Vegas, and um, like I said, it just made it that much sweeter that it was you know Super Bowl weekend, and you know it was just it was, it was awesome, man. It was super super cool. It was really cool to watch, and obviously not just you individually with, uh, you know, kind of putting the pressure on DJ on 18, and then obviously, you know, little temporary immovable obstruction, but you do finish second in the golf tournament, win with Smash, hot start to the year. Now, going from the Range Goats to Team Smash over this offseason, you get traded for Matthew Wolf. TG, I got to be honest, like, if... If this was the NBA, and this is what makes the NBA so popular, is that the uh, details of these trades are made public. So I think it would be interesting to have you kind of explain to live fans how these trades work, maybe how yours went down, and um, and maybe go through your decision making if they if they gave you any input on why you maybe wanted to go play with Brooks Kepka on Team Smash. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I played with Brooks a lot last year, so we got to know each other, and, and it was specifically in, in Valderrama on Sunday we were paired together, um, and we were walking down the 10th fairway, and, I, and that was kind of the height of him and, and Wolfie kind of clashing, and so I was just like, man, what's, what's, what's it look like next year? You know, what, obviously uh, you're going to you know trade him, and, and y'all are going to go separate ways. You know, what's it, what's it look like? And then his brother wasn't, uh, you know, playing great golf, and so it looked like he might lose the spot on live. And and so I was just asking him, you know, man, what's it, what's it look like? And he said, honestly, he goes, I want to get you. And I kind of, you know, I kind of chuckled because I'm like, yeah, that, you know, that sounds nice, and I, you know, I'm, you know, I appreciate that, but, you know, I don't, I don't know if, uh, if that's, you know, if that's really possible. And plus, I was like, man, I'm trying to beat you right now. Don't, don't be trying to talk nice to me. And um, and we get paired together um, a couple weeks after that uh, in Chicago, and uh, the the rumor mill had started within Live, and I had you know a dozen different people come up to me and be like, the week of Chicago, they're like, hey, are you going to Smash next year? And I was like, I mean, that'd be the first that I heard of it. Like I, you know, I know Brooks kind of joked with me about doing it, but I don't, you know, I don't know anything about that. And then we get paired together the final round, and. Uh, and I didn't say anything to him all day. And then we walk off the 18th and he goes, so apparently you're going to be on my team next year, huh? I said, that's why I keep hearing. He goes, did you start that? I said, no, did you? He goes, no. He goes, but I'm not stopping it. And, um, and then, uh, the, the following tournament was, uh, the final individual tournament in Jetta. And sure enough, we get into a playoff and, uh, you know, after the playoff, after he beat me, we, you know, kind of sit down and talk a little bit. And, and he's like, listen, he goes, I'm going to try to make this happen. I said, well, let's talk then. And, um, and then, you know, 
season ends and we we had a good final tournament. The range goes, Bubba played great in the final round and we finished second in the team championship. And um, Bubba called me and was like, "Listen, um, you know this this trade. This is is this possible for you? Is this something that you're wanting?" And I said, "Man, I gotta be honest, Bubba. If I get a chance to play with Brooks on a day to day basis and be a part of." Um, you know, the future of, of this team, uh, Team Smash, like, man, I'm really interested in, in seeing what that looks like and seeing if it makes sense. And, you know, Bubba, uh, the previous season, uh, when it was uh, the end of the previous season, when we knew it was going to be me, Bubba, Harold, we were needing a fourth. And um, Matt Wolf was the guy that Bubba wanted to go after. And so it kind of just started all to make sense that, you know, Brooks reached out to Bubba and was like, "Hey, you know, how do we how do we make this trade happen with with, with Gooch and Wolfie and everything?" And you know, to, to Bubba's credit, man, he uh, he kind of saw the the opportunity for me and and kind of put a little bit of his own ambitions aside. Um, kind of, you know, because you, you know everyone in the in the the public eye is going to see that and think like, "What the heck is going on?" Like that doesn't seem right. Uh, you know, it's, it's you know, a dude that just won the individual season versus a dude who, you know, had some struggles and some drama and stuff. But um, it's kind of a testament to Bubba because, you know, he cares for the person as much or more than he cares for the player. And, and he saw an opportunity with Wolfie to, you know, get a kid that, as we all know, is one of the most talented dudes in the game. And, uh, you know, uh, see, a, see a way to be a leader to him and to kind of help get him on track and then also give me an opportunity to go and uh, – play with the dude like I said that you know uh, if I can try to figure out how to beat him on a day-to-day basis like you know he's just going to push me and and I felt like it was a a good move for me for my career and and we were able to make it happen and you know I've I've kept telling people throughout the offseason you know uh, the the analogy I keep using is you you don't trade a, a sock uh you know when it's at its lowest, you trade it when it's at its highest, right? You don't want to sell Apple when, you know, it's hit record highs or sorry, when it's hit record lows, you want to hit, you want, you want to trade that, you know, stock when it's hit record highs. And that's what Bubba did. And, uh, I think time will tell is, you know, as, as, uh, Wolfie continues to get more and more comfortable and we all know it, it, it takes comfort to play great golf in this game. And, um, I mean, this last week proved that, you know, I was looking at the leaderboard and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, Wolfie's leading and all of a sudden Bubba's going to look like a genius because Wolfie goes and wins the second tournament and I'm, you know, not winning, you know, the first couple of tournaments. And so, um, you know, point being uh, to, to the kind of the naked eye, people are going to, you know, question the trade and they're going to think, ah, Liv is like setting the decks and blah, blah, blah. But that's just not the reality of it. The reality is, you know, just like any other sport, you know, if, if a, you know, like with the Lakers, for example, if, if, you know, the Warriors had approached, you know, the Lakers and the Lakers were like, you know, hey, LeBron, they've, they've approached us. Do you, you know, do you have any interest? It's part of what makes Sam Presti, Sam, I know you may not agree with this, but part of what <laughs> makes Presti the, the best in the game, in my opinion, is, and, and Carmelo Anthony talked about this recently in, in that interview, like, you know, Sam listens to his players. He values, you know, the, the players, uh, you know, as people and their wants and needs more than any other GM in the game. And, um, you know, and, and that's just what happened. You know, Bubba and, and their GM, uh, Randall, 
you know, approached me and said, Hey, this is, this has been talked about. Um, you know, we wanted to come to you and, and see if this is something that interested you. And, and then, uh, like I said, we were able to get it done. That's a wonderful insight there, TG. And that leads me to my next point. I want your opinion on this. I'm sitting here. I pull up your data golf page. It's got your, your nice picture up in the left. It's got your name, American flag there. It says your age. It says your, your skill breakdown, driving distance, putting, all that. And up here it has some rankings here. I sit here in the, the data golf ranking, the analytic ranking, has you as the 40th ranked player in the world. Very, very good. And you're also the reigning live player of the year. Just want to say that before I make this next point. And right over here, it says official world golf ranking. And I look at this. It says 427. It's, I, I don't even know if I have a question for you, TG. I just want your opinion on how preposterous has it gotten to this point. Yeah. I mean, I, I think everybody is uh, pretty much, you know, just, just not taking into account that ranking anymore. Unfortunately, you know, other than, you know, some of the, you know, mainstream media, uh, golf media that, you know, continues to use it to use it as uh, some sort of talking point. But, you know, again, the, the one that I was laughing at recently was the, I mean, the DJ one, I mean, everybody and their cousin knows that, uh, DJ, uh, is one of the best golfers in the world without question. Um, and he was, you know, whatever 200 and something in the world. And, um, and I think another, you know, kind of irony, um, is, you know, David Huge, who just won an international series event, young kid, absolute superstar in the making. Um, but he, uh, you know, and I think he would agree with this, you know, he's, he's not better than DJ. And if you look at the results over the last, you know, couple of years, because he started with live year one, if you look at the results over the last couple of years, like he hasn't beaten DJ. Uh, I would venture to say he hasn't beaten DJ more than DJ has beaten him. And, you know, and David, who again, like I said, is a superstar in the making, um, has played some great golf and has won a couple of tournaments. And he's going to be a, you know, getting into majors now and, and a top hundred something player in the world, like ranked ahead of DJ. And it's just, it's crazy talk, you know? Um, and, you know, so hopefully, hopefully uh, we'll, we'll get to a point one day and hopefully sooner than later that uh, that all gets resolved. And, and again, some uh, common sense kind of comes to, you know, common sense prevails. So hopefully we'll figure that out. Uh, and in the meantime, everyone will just kind of laugh about uh, the craziness that it currently is. No doubt. I mean, that's what you got to do. It's laughable right now. Now, do you have hope that this weirdest merger in the history of sports is going to get figured out anytime soon? Obviously, John Rahm, uh, who I want to ask you about here before you get out of here, and thank you for your time again, but do you think that there's hope in, in the future that this merger will actually get figured out? And do you think there's maybe a glimmer of hope that we see you in a major championship this year, TG? Uh, yeah, I mean, something's going to have to get figured out one way or another. I, you know, I, I got no idea what that looks like. Um, but th- there's no doubt that things can't continue on the path that they're on for an extended period of time. Uh, it's just, it, it's going to come together. It's, it's not if, but when. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I mean, for the majors, I, I, I don't foresee uh as things stand that any majors uh gives me uh, a spot in their field uh but you know i hope that changes as well um and as far as you know for the the two open championships 
you know, potentially I'll uh, give it a chance and qualify. Potentially not. I don't, you know, I don't really know. And that's um, maybe the saddest part about what's happened over the last couple of years is that the majors have had an opportunity to rise above everything that's been going on um, and, and chosen golf, uh, not sides. And they just, unfortunately, they, they haven't figured out a way to do that. Uh, Cause I, 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 I'd venture to say if you took uh, the top 400 ranked golfers in the world right now, I don't think uh, a single one of them would say that uh, I don't deserve to be in all the majors. And, and that's, you know, that's the sad part, but um, you know, uh, at the end of the day, unfortunately it's out of, out of my control. And like I keep saying, I'm going to continue to just play as good as golf as I can to continue to prove how, you know, how wrong the system currently is. And that's all, that's all I can do. CG, someone that's been in the, the rumor mill a lot lately is another local guy like yourself who's been an absolute star or was about a decade ago. Anthony Kim, got any inside scoop on if AK is going to be making a comeback anytime soon? <laughs> I I don't. Uh, I I think it would be the coolest thing ever. Um, I do know that uh, it was about a year ago, a buddy of mine at uh, OKC uh, – I was like, hey, we're, we're playing with AK. Uh, Want to come join? And I was like, hold the phone. Last I heard, this dude wasn't golfing. And all of a sudden, he's golfing again. I was like, hmm, that's 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 ironic. And uh, so it, it'll be interesting. Like, a, you know, I think I would love to see it. I think uh, everyone in the golf world would love to see it. You know, and it, it would be very, very fascinating to see if uh, – to see how he performs and – I think uh, if he does come, you know, come join Live, I think, uh, you know, he would – I think everyone agrees that, like, it's the most, like, perfect format for him. It's it's, it's not a secret that he didn't love the PGA Tour, and uh, it's not a secret that he would love to play with some shorts on and some music going and uh, and just have some fun. And so um, I think it's a, it's a great fit for his personality and, and what he wants out of golf and – um and so we'll we'll see it, it, it like i said i i'm i'm hoping for it i think it'd be freaking sweet no doubt about it everyone especially around here loves anthony kim my last question for you tg is is about the biggest acquisition that live got over this offseason john rom i mean what is it like having john rom on live now oh man it's it's great you know and and as a lot of uh players have said over the last couple of years you know you just we all want to play against the best in the world. And, um, uh, you know, in my, in my opinion, I, you know, just as a, just as a dude who's played against, you know, all the dudes, like he, if it's, you know, I, I, I won't tell him this to his face, but you know, if there's one guy standing on the sea that has his A stuff, uh, and I think it's going to be tough to keep up with. He's, he's that guy. And so, um, you know, when, when he's got it going, man, he's just, He's tough to beat, and his record speaks for itself. I mean, the the amount of top tens he had on the PGA Tour and wins and everything they did, and all the success so early on, it's it's you know it's one of the few guys over the last couple of decades that you know through the first whatever five, six, seven years, however many years on the PGA Tour that man he's had some similar statistics to to Tiger from a results perspective, and so uh, that's all that's all that needs to be said to you know kind of you know, characterize what a, what a phenomenal player he is. And, man, he's he, – the way he's handled, you know, 
the whole Live PJ Tour thing over the last couple of years has been great. You know, I, I think he's been a great ambassador for golf, um, not just for PJ Tour or for Live. And, um, you know, it's cool to see that, you know, someone that, um, you know, didn't jump over initially, kind of stood back, saw things unfold, and then, you know, decide to, to make his way to Live. It, you know, it speaks volumes uh, for for Live, for the product that Live is. And, um, you know, for, for, you know, the future of what live is, you know, as everyone continues to, to, you know, prior to him continue to try to, you know, speculate whether or not live would, would be around, uh, much longer. You know, he kind of expelled a lot of those, uh, of those talks very, very quickly. And all of us within live knew how preposterous those talks were, but, uh, you know, no one would listen to us and you know what, everyone listens to John Rom. No doubt about it. Well, TG, again, I appreciate your time tonight. Good luck in Jeddah coming up here on March 1st through the 3rd. T-Dub, any last final questions for TG before he gets out of here? Uh, TG, just so appreciative of your time, man. As we mentioned earlier, congratulations on your new baby boy. And it is going to be preposterous that we're not going to see you playing in some of these major championships coming up. You should be in all four of them, and hopefully they can get it fixed to where a player of your caliber deserves to be in the most elite tournaments in the world. No doubt. I appreciate it, brother. No doubt. Hey, TG, before you get out of here, i got to give you a chance to uh, shout out your foundation and all the cool stuff that you're doing with them. Yeah, the Taylor Goose Foundation is, you know, we're, we're trucking along. We're doing some good and uh, continue to support junior golf in the state and have another AJGA event, a bunch of OJGT events. And, uh, and yeah, we're actually uh, talking right now. We haven't had a, uh, a foundation tournament uh in in Oklahoma City yet, uh, and uh, for a fundraiser tournament, uh, but uh, there will be one coming this fall, and and we're talking with uh, you know, talking with some people about doing something kind of cool and unique. So be on the lookout for that, and um, yeah, it'll be an exciting year for us. Good stuff. Again, that's Taylor Gooch, reigning live individual champion. TG, thanks for the time today, and thanks for coming on the seventy third hole again. Appreciate it, fellas. See you again soon.